0: So we're going to have a discussion about variable annuities. And I think we probably ought to expand this into a discussion of the history of annuities a little bit, fixed annuities, equity index annuities, just a whole bunch of different things, both from my perspective and as well as yours. Sure.
1: Yeah, annuities go back uh, more than a millennia and the history of them is similar to a lot of other financial instruments that people have used over the years. Where
0: does it start? One of the things that's always bothered me is that guy, Ken Fisher, who gets on television and says, I hate annuities. When social security is nothing more than an annuity. Everybody who has a pension from an employer has an annuity. And yet this guy, it says things like that. And it really hurts an industry that's already been plagued by a lot of bad press and bad sales practices but annuities have a place
1: absolutely yeah annuities aggregate risk and that's really kind of simply what it is it just kind of depends on who's doing the aggregation and who's doing the guaranteeing of the uh of of people's money whether it's the government or some private insurance company or uh you know people have uh, military pensions and the U S military used to do that. Or maybe they still do in, in not in the same degree they used to, but everybody used to get a pension. And now it's, there's certain terms about that, but depending on where you go, it's just, it's, it's all about the entity. You know, years ago, they used to have um, tontines where groups of people would get together and pull their money and they would do the same thing. It would be basically in effect, a private annuity, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the word annuity uh, comes from it's Latin goes back to the days of the Romans, and it's the the word Anuna.
2: Connecting Dots is a production of Fixed Cost Financial, the home of fixed cost investing. All rights reserved. Rebroadcast or distribution prohibited without expressed written authorization. Connecting Dots is for educational use only. Investment performance is not guaranteed. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This broadcast does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation or needs. Nothing should be construed as an individual recommendation. Always read and all applicable information carefully before making an investment decision. Investments are not bank-guaranteed, not FDIC-insured, and may lose value. Due to our extensive holdings and that of our clients, you should assume that we have a position in all companies discussed and thus a conflict of interest should be assumed.
0: An Anuna is nothing more than Roman citizens. This is literally the way it, I'm just going to make it in plain English. A bunch of Roman citizens were grouped together by way of the government the government uh, was created these social networks and generally speaking at the time it is believed that the youngest person and the one most capable uh, would be in charge of the money so you put your money in the government I believe also added to it there's a little bit of history there that's a little a couple of different ways you could look at it but the bottom line is no roman citizen was going to get old and have to live with all of the non-roman citizens i mean it you know you have to understand being a roman citizen was a big deal it's kind of like a lot of places citizenship is a big deal not like it is in other places it is just a big deal okay so if the person who was in charge of the annuity the annuna they were called a trustee if the trustee violated the terms and conditions of the trust, um, they were put to death. I mean, it was a big deal. That's where the word fiduciary comes from. All of these terms, uh, fidicia, uh and again, the evolution for uh, your European language, trustee, all of these come go back to the days of the Romans. And again, like you said, the Tontines. that was the same concept here in the United States. The word annuity came in where you had both charitable annuities, the very first annuity in the United States, I believe was either the Quakers or the Mormons, Lutherans began doing it as well. And so you have charitable remainder trust, charitable annuities, you have pensions, you have social security. In fact, well, you know a little bit about Germany and how, um, was it Bismarck that created the first pension for military? Well, I don't know if it was for the
1: military, but it was, in general, um, Bismarck being the fantastic um, politician and was able to see the way the winds were blowing, and he was able to head off a, a run by a more moderate um, social um, political party, and he was able to successfully implement several kind of social reforms, and one of them was an equivalent to social security that we use today. So in the modern context, I don't think many people realize that that goes back to the, that kind of golden age of capitalism. It, 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 actually appeared there. It wasn't actually in most people think of, of social security and social safety nets as, as kind of a, an outgrowth of the new deal, but it was actually about 40 years prior.
0: And, and those concepts literally go back to the ancient, ancient Romans. Yeah. They I mean, it was a
1: safety net. And, but they're just not as common as, you know, as we kind of walked out of feudalism and into this kind of, uh, what most people would consider excessive capitalism, you know, the tycoon style capitalism, it was that which brought these social programs back into being because there was enough excess in society. Again, very similar to Roman times where, where a lot of people didn't have to work as hard as they had to prior.
0: So I want to kind of bring this up because one of the things we're doing with this episode of Connecting Dots, this is going to be profiled for a an event that we're putting together here at our office. It's a it's an AMA, Ask Me Anything. And I believe we're probably going to be doing those on a pretty regular basis, depending upon uh, the results of, of this one and a few others. Uh, but the bottom line is I think that when people go to these seminars, uh, they're, they're sold, breakfast, lunch, and dinner seminars, golf seminars, wine and cheese. They wine them and dine them. I mean, like down in the villages, they go to the Arnold Palmer and they they go to the Lopez, they go to, you know, they're all, all they're missing down there is a Tyrolean. And, um, you know, you, they, they, every, every place in the country has these things, every Sun City center in Texas and, and uh, Arizona and all, it's the same thing, uh, these guys and gals are selling annuities, but I don't think people know what they're buying. And I don't think people really understand the most basic and fundamental concept of what an annuity is, which is nothing more than a contract.
1: No, I think most people, they view them as, as a safety net for their money and beyond a handful of hand-waving and, and, and generalities, they don't really understand what they're, what they're getting themselves into, let alone significant costs
0: that can be involved. So the bottom line is, an annuity is a contract. It's a contract between you, the owner, and an insurance company uh, to benefit somebody who is going to be a beneficiary. So, whose life this payment stream is going to be based upon? That's called the annuitant, and that can be one person, it could be two people. The older you are, the less you're you're going to live a shorter time than somebody younger. Uh, bottom line, annuities have a mortality assumptions. These mortality assumptions are based upon actuarial tables. And so there's a whole lot of things that go into the construction of an annuity, but it's just basic, very simple when you think about it, math. It's just simply a, I mean, look, an actuary will tell you that's a complex decision. But with the law of large numbers, you pretty well know. What the odds are—it's no different than playing poker.
1: Yeah, it's a. Uh, nowadays we have access to, just vast quantities of data, and these things have have been approximated, like we've been saying, generally speaking, for, a long, long time—two thousand years—and now with the advent of computers and the ability to access this data, they've been able to get a pretty precise read on all this stuff. So the the numbers are not as complicated as they used to be, and now they're kind of nipping around the edges, trying to figure out different ways to sell them, adding on these different death benefit riders and things that seem like they're a lot better deal than they actually are. You like to harp on that. Uh, how good of a deal or how bad of a deal actually is
0: it? Well, the problem with annuities is the features to sell them. You. Frankly, nobody seems to understand this one thing. If I'm going to offer you a benefit, I'm not going to lose money on it. I'm going to price it in such a way that I'm going to make money on it. And that's a key concept that every investor should understand, that when you buy either a fixed annuity, which is very similar to like a certificate of deposit or a bond, or an equity index annuity, which is an options contract, uh, that's one thing literally nobody understands how equity index annuities work and i could go on for hours on those we've done a lot of talks on them and it's the one product i always say steve far far away from but then you have variable annuities but a variable annuity the problem was years ago they were really pretty simple you had basically five or four income you know investment choices and It was always the same. income, income and growth, growth, growth and income, aggressive growth. I mean it was pretty pretty simple. and you basically, if you died and the account was less than what you started with, then your beneficiary would get whatever you put in.
1: So it was a guarantee of of a, at least a base minimum at some
0: level. Yeah, you you got back your money no matter what. You know, you went in and you were like, you just bad timing and you died. You knew you, wouldn't, you knew you wouldn't lose your principal. That that was the thing. It was your beneficiary. But then they started coming out with these, these riders. And a couple of the companies grossly underpriced their riders back in the 1990s. Sun America did that. And they wound up becoming acquired by AIG. And quite literally, they charged a quarter of a percent. A quarter of a percent to guarantee a 5% compounded without a cap death benefit rider. So every year, it just continued to go up. Boom, 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 boom. Sounds like a mistake, but... Huge mistake, because what they also did is said, you also had a high watermark in that, meaning that every year, and it was on an annual basis, wherever the annuity got to, it would lock in. Well, I sat down and just did the math on the thing, and I said to myself... This thing is absolutely unbelievable. They have grossly underpriced it. And I told a bunch of retirees, you do realize that you and your spouse have social security. At the first death, your social security will go down. Basically, you lose the smaller of the two. So if you take an annuity out on each life, then what you would have is you basically are self-insuring. And as a result, What you want to do, this is your last to use money. So what Sun America did is they did not put any restrictions on the asset allocation. What I would tell people is that if this is money that you're only going to use for a death benefit, don't worry about the market value. And every one of those people, I had them extremely aggressive. When the markets went up, it went up like gangbusters. Well, if they're
1: guaranteeing a lock in and they're guaranteeing of at least a five percent, you might as well be as risky as you can. I mean, what's what's worst case scenario? You only
0: get what five? Worst case scenario, you're getting five. We told everybody it should be basically viewed as an insurance, life insurance policy. And what happened was you remember Helen.
1: Yeah, that was what a three hundred thousand dollar investment turned into over $1.2 million by the time she passed away. And, you know, this is a person that didn't need, didn't need the money. And she followed the kind of game plan and it it worked out. And and (laughs) well, the
0: amazing thing, it worked out for her husband who died first. Yep. And she did have a cut in social security. What happened was again, a $300,000 investment. It peaked out, I think at a million four. And I believe that's what the final number was. Okay. And when she died, the actual cash value of the policy was like 900000 So it was a half-million-dollar a death benefit. Yeah. I mean, that's literally what it was. But the cost of it was so low. What happened is during the recession, which was really a depression, if anybody wants to call it, all of these companies, I mean, AIG was basically bankrupt. So many of these companies were. You'll notice that you know company after company after company got out of the variable annuity business because they made promises they couldn't keep. So what happens is I've seen this in the disability insurance area, same thing in long-term care. Well, you know what's going on with GE.
1: Oh yeah. Well, every long-term care company out there has had their chickens come home to roost. As the phrase goes, they've all been kind of deep doo-doo as far as their actuarial calculations and what it comes down to is healthcare costs are skyrocketing and they're their uh, their policies are out there for a lot longer than they thought they would be, right?
0: Yeah, and it's always the same thing. One of the things what I do when we connect dots, we do our due diligence. When I'm uh, investigating a company in any way, shape, or form, especially from an investment standpoint, I'm always looking at who's in charge. Where do they come from? So if the bean counters, if the accounting department comes in, if the actuaries come in, whoever is in charge of the company, the CEO, you want to know who their background is. Because if it's always sales-based, what happens, these guys sometimes get very aggressive. They put they bully the uh, the accountants around. They bully the actuaries around. That's what happened in, in uh, disability insurance, long-term care insurance. And the same thing that happened in uh, ver- the variable annuity business. They basically were making promises that they couldn't keep. And when things went belly up, there were a hell of a lot of Hellens who died with a million, 10 million, 5 million, and I mean, this is just business. I mean, it's out the door. You're dead, and it doesn't. It doesn't take that many of those for a company to be in in deep doo doo, and that's what happened. So what you've got now is you've got a lot of these writers that they've increased the costs dramatically, and they're and,
1: quite honestly more in line with what a realistic actuarial calculation would be for some of these writers.
0: Absolutely, and if it's an actuarially sound calculation they're not there to lose money.
1: No, it's not a it's not a free add on anymore. There's not you're not getting a sweetheart deal or a blue light special.
0: So, a lot of these people who have bought annuities, especially retirees. I mean, my god, the villages is just inundated with every annuity salesperson on the face of the earth. I mean, you go to their websites, I mean, you know they 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 claim to be investment advisors, but all they're trying to do is get in the door to sell you an annuity. Uh, It's all the same thing. It's the same ones all the time. What most people don't realize is what an annuity should really be there for. Now, in the state of Florida, under Florida State, uh, our chapter 222.1214, that whole area has to do with asset protection. You cannot be sued in civil court. Obviously, the government can always get it for taxes. And if it was an illegal activity, you have criminal issues but you cannot be sued in civil court and have your money taken away from you as long as it's in an annuity. So that's a, that's a powerful advantage and annuities accumulate tax deferred. So those are the two big reasons why you would want to do an annuity protection of uh, against creditors and accumulation tax deferred. The problem is when you take the money out, it's all income. It's not going to get capital gains. You're not going to get a step up basis in value. So, there's pros and cons. One of the big things about a, a, any kind of an annuity, variable annuity, fixed annuity, equity and annuity you can always annuitize an annuity. And I'll, I'd rather talk about that in a little bit. But right now, one of the things that we're going to be talking to people about are, are a true no-load variable annuity. Yes,
1: the variable annuities out there, have, there's been some interesting developments over the past 10 years or so, you've been following it for a long time. And there's what was Jefferson nationals. Now, um, you said nationwide, I believe.
0: Yeah, quite literally when those a company by, by name of Jefferson, national came out with an investment only annuity, an IOA and quite literally nobody in the industry knew what in the Sam devil that is. I used to speak to people all the time and say, this thing is amazing. What the problem was is Jefferson National, as an insurance company, didn't have the highest ratings. So back in the day, and this is going back now, you had AM Best, you had Standard & Poor's, Moody's, Duff & Phelps. These are the old companies that would evaluate the financial stability of an insurance company. And if you... It it's so confusing because like an A plus rating with AM best, which is a top rating would be like a middle of the road rating with other companies. <laughs> so you had to have a cheat sheet as to, you know, well we're triple A rated and he's only a plus rated. Well, it, and they it, it, scumbag insurance agents would pull a fast one on company on uh, consumers and they would be able to sell a low life insurance company to an you know, an unwitting, yeah, uh, a consumer who didn't really know what was going on by that, shopping the rating. Yeah, but by just yeah by by sham jamming the ratings. Okay, so that was that was that. And anyways, these lower quality companies would oftentimes have the higher commissions, and you know, so, oh, of course,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, you offset you offset lack of sales and the lack of uh, lack of notoriety with some increased uh, sales rewards
0: and get those numbers pumped up and figure it out down the road. Yeah, I mean, so the agent that's hungry is always going to sell the most expensive commission-based product. But what, what happened was, is that Jefferson National, they're not on the hook for anything. And they used to tell these people, I mean, literally, presidents, vice presidents, chairman of the boards of major insurance companies, broker-dealers, you should be using this product. And everybody go, oh no, no. And boy, don't you touch that thing with a 10 foot pole. They're only B plus rated. We only deal with A rated companies. Okay. Why would you care about this? This is an investment only annuity, but there's, but, but they're not strong enough in case you have a death benefit. There's no death benefit. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's amazing because you think about it. It's, it's as if it's, it's, it's an annuity. You're wrapping an investment with an annuity contract. It's not. It's not
0: an annuity as you traditionally would think of it. So go back go back to when I started over 30 years ago. You had an annuity whose only death benefit was you will get back what you put in.
1: Yes, that makes sense. Simple.
0: And so Everybody all they did it. is go back 30 years and say, hey, we're going to do an annuity where you're only going to get back whatever it's worth when you're dead or when you take the money out. The value will always fluctuate And so we don't guarantee anything. And what they did is they said, you know, if, is there a requirement by the law to provide a death benefit? And guess what? There's not, there's no requirement. So the people that created this thing were actually pretty gal smart. And I mean, I think they're absolutely brilliant. And they said, okay, what are the benefits of an annuity? Well, in some States they're protected from creditors and by federal law, the monies accumulate tax-deferred. Hey, that's a okay. That's cool. We can do a variable, which is basically a mutual fund. You're supposed to call it separate accounts. We can have these mutual funds in there. You can then buy and sell and move them all around. No capital gains tax because it's accumulating tax-deferred. Wow, that's kind of a cool deal. I wonder what we can do this for. Well, let's invest in some computers and software. I bet you we can do this pretty cheap. a month. Yeah, so they figured out what's the bare minimum annuity has to actually be, and let's do that. That's exactly what they did. Now, the way they make money is this. If you look at their separate accounts, those mutual funds, if you look at, for example, the cheapest ones out there are always going to be their Vanguard holdings. Of course. If you go into the Vanguard, let's say, uh, S&P 500 – it will cost a little bit more in the variable annuity rather than buying straight through to Vanguard because there's a kickback. I don't care what you call it. They're going to call it some kind of a placement fee or whatever. So what they're doing is they're getting a little nick here and there. But what you don't have with these no-load variable annuities, and Jefferson is and that was nationwide. They sold out the company, uh, the company, guys that created the company, sold out, and did fantastic. What they don't do is they don't do what everybody else does, is they have this thing called M&E charges, mortality and expense charges, which is your basic good old-fashioned, you will always get back what you put in. And those average about 1.4%. So let's just use a million dollars. On a million dollars, you're paying $14,000 a year minimum for mortality and expense charges. Then if you have another 1.4% for these mutual funds, now you're at $28,000 a year. Then the guy decides to sell you, oh, this income writer or whatever writer, and it's another 1%. Uh, now you're at $38,000 a year.
1: Gets expensive really quickly.
0: Really, really quickly. So, thirty-eight thousand dollars a year and a million dollars for ten years. What would thirty-eight times ten be? Three hundred eighty. Three hundred eighty thousand dollars. So, if if I was in front of an audience, you would think someone would would go, um, "I'm in pretty good health and think I'm going to be around for ten years. I'm giving up three hundred eighty thousand dollars. Wouldn't it be better if I just invested that money?" in a way that was not that aggressive. And I, you see where I'm going with this? Absolutely. So what, for me, it's real simple. Which is going to cost you more money on a million bucks? $38,000 a year or two hundred forty?
1: Obviously the $38,000 is a lot more.
0: But here's the thing. It's it's the hardest thing to sell.
1: Why? Because it doesn't have all the guarantees and all of the, all of the uh, kind of... Uh, emotional reinforcement that, Oh, it's going to be there if uh, anything happens. Well, it is going to be there. It's just not, there's just not a guarantee of, of no loss or or some minimum, minimal amount of loss. But the reality is because you're, you know, if you count that thirty three hundred eighty thousand $380,000 over 10 years, what are the chances that you're going to lose $380,000 over 10 years? Compared, you know, it's like, it's kind of a wash when you start to actually do the math. It's like, doesn't actually ever make any sense.
0: No, it it, it, it it never makes any sense. And that's one of the things I want to kind of dive into with this is variable annuities are sold based upon emotions. They're sold based upon scaring the absolute bejeebies out of people. It's the same thing with equity index annuities. And there is almost nothing written out there about what we're going to talk about, which is how to think this rationally when every single person is irrational for example i mean how many years have you heard me talk about financial behavioralism
1: oh my entire life
0: okay so for your 25 years and my 30 plus years 33 years in this business i have been talking about people are not rational and yet almost all of the investment standard stock this is your this is the way you're trained is you know people are rational make rational decisions i've always said no no they're not
1: no it's been abundantly clear observing and then working with you that no matter how much money somebody has or how little somebody has there's no correlation between wealth and rationality or or vice versa it actually kind of is. Is there's a little bit of vice versa that the less money somebody has, the more rational they can be. Once they start to get a lot, then they're depending on the situation, they can be just as easily manipulated as somebody that doesn't know anything, which is kind of a scary proposition when you start to consider a complicated variable annuity product, product that could end up costing
0: them more than they paid for their house. Well, we were just. We yesterday, you and I watched a uh, movie together. We were doing a critical analysis on a movie. I was it Netflix or HBO. I don't remember. I'm not not sure. I believe it's Netflix. Theranos and. Yeah. About the defunct blood
1: uh, testing biotechnology company out of uh, California named Theranos by the Wonder Woman startup genius. Can't remember
0: her name. And it was just, it's just all pure fraud. And yet you had George Schultz, former Secretary of State, Henry Kissinger, Secretary of State. You had Mathis, who was for a short time with Trump as Secretary of Defense. You had all of these who's, who's on the board of directors. But
1: more than that, I mean, those people are just political faces and,
0: and people that create
1: goodwill and, and and some form of social credit. The... People that are more disturbing are the actual investors that put the the investment managers of these. Um, Why don't you run through some of them? Because that just blew my firms. mind. Yeah,
0: I, I don't remember. Michael Dell was one, for yeah, example. Michael
1: Dell, Larry Ellison, um, Jeff Bezos, and, and some others. But the the important thing about it is is not just those guys. the the, the people that were so astounding to me were the the tried and true, well known. Silicon Valley venture capitalists who venture capitalists are no nothing more than just private hedge fund managers they're people, people view them as like some type of magical Oracle and that's really all they are. They're just a different type of hedge fund manager yep. and they're everybody views them as they're investing their own money, but they're not, they're investing clients money just like anything else. It's just, it's more on gut feeling and more on very specific, strange long-term deals but, but with that in mind, you have what are in effect investment managers who are giving money to what ended up being a 19 year old woman who had a very, very good idea and ultimately couldn't execute on her vision and ended up scamming in the end, $470 million yeah, or some, I think I, I think
0: the there. total loss, and I, I, I believe, I, I remember him saying something, the total loss was over $700 million. And I remember just, thinking to myself, man, we're getting close to a billion. That's real money. It's just an astounding amount of money. I mean. In three years or in what, five years? No,
1: it was 15 years. Oh, was it was 15 years. But the important thing about it is they spent over $300 million shutting people up and in, in legal oh, yeah. expenses yeah. just in the last year alone. That's money that, that's worthless money. That's, you know, so anyways, not to get completely off track, but it is just, it's astounding that you can have people who have you know, the better, I mean, I, I can't remember the name of one guy. Um, one of the larger firms in Silicon Valley who, who I believe he was the first investor. He, his credibility is all over this woman and they didn't check anything. They didn't check. They never had an audited accounting statement. They never looked with experts to see, to verify when they were doing reinvestment after they had actually started to produce something. It is unbelievable the lack of due diligence among people who are extremely sophisticated.
0: So we're talking about this in terms of annuities because we brought up, as Paul said, that even those people who start to have some real money in life start to make stupid decisions.
1: Yeah, it's an, it's an unfortunate thing because they think that a lot of people make money off of luck. You talk about that a lot, and they think that it's just going to keep on happening.
0: I was watching uh, Stuart Varney many years ago uh, when uh, Fox Business first started. He had a gentleman on, and the fellow P- has a Ph.D., he's a mathematician, and he wrote a book, and I have it somewhere. I don't know how to dig it out. But he, his premise was that the overwhelming majority of people who make it big in, the, in life, it's luck. It's luck. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. And Stuart Varney just completely lost his mind. He said it's not luck that I have. And he just he just ripped this guy a new one. The yeah, guy Stuart
1: Varney was kind of wor- worshiping at the altar of hard work and and uh and grit and kind of that, that the kind of American trope about how, you know, if you just work hard enough, you'll get what you
0: want. Which there's an element of truth to that, but well that's what and, the guy said. He said, You're absolutely right in everything you're saying. He said, but and then I'll just put my own take on it. You know, there's not a person in the country that couldn't be walking down the sidewalk and be struck by a drive-by shooting or a car that the person has a heart attack or stroke or epilepsy or a seizure or, and all of a sudden you're run down. I mean, or you
1: get stuck by a wasp as you're just walking from your car to your house and you turns out you're allergic to wasps and you, you didn't have been know. stung by one before. And you have anaphylactic shock on your front porch and die. Well, is you never is, know no, crazy. I- the craziest things can happen, but it also doesn't just have to do with crazy, r- crazy risk factors like that. It also has to do with things like maybe you just didn't meet the right person at the right time. You missed a business
0: meeting and all of a sudden that entire branch of potentiality is just gone. And I think that's one of the things that, I have continued to preach about and some people get upset about it. I could care less. I just don't care. As a true fiduciary, I call it the way I see it. We get paid to do the right thing, period. The overwhelming majority of the people who are retired, yeah, they saved money. They didn't spend it. I mean, quite literally. But sometimes there's a lack of appreciation for good old-fashioned good luck. And then they get in over their head on things and they're unwilling to say, man, I shouldn't do this. So I think that's what we really need to focus on with these variable annuities is that, and it's like equity index annuities, people are buying them, I believe, because they want to be in the market. Oh, they, they, they get it. But at the same time, they want mommy. They want a guarantee they want some kind of guarantee and it's the mommy factor and
1: well, they, 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 they know that, you know, they potentially lost, you know, a lot of money in the recession, depression carnival ride and they, it scared them and, you know, maybe they're back up to where they were before they should be. And, um, they're willing to put their money in play again, but they want some type of guarantee and, are a little bit older now potentially and they're just you know i mean it it makes sense but at the same time you have to take the emotional emotions out of it and kind of just do the basic math and like you said if you have a product that is going to end up costing you on a million dollars three hundred eighty thousand dollars over 10 years you is that that's that's more than a third of your initial investment is that really can you ever make that ever work out On paper, I mean, are you willing to pay that much just for a little bit of emotional support? Because, I mean, really that's what it comes down to.
0: I have never been able to make these enhanced death benefits work as they now exist with these variable annuities. When Sun America did theirs and they grossly underpriced it, I'm pretty good at math. I can calculate things real rapidly. I said to myself back then, man, they screwed the pooch on this thing. This thing is a great deal under certain circumstances, but it wasn't more than six months to a year later. That thing had gone up many, many times over in cost. And as soon as it did, I told everybody, oh, that deal for new contracts is done. <laughs> Don't ever get rid of these things. These are amazing. Absolutely. I
1: mean, that's why years ago, I remember you talking about, hey, just start the contract. You can always add later. They have, they have the ability to add add to the, add to the existing policy.
0: Oh yeah. And it, well, we had several people do that. I don't think I had a single person ever blow those contracts out, but I also know that not too terribly long ago, I think one of the last people who, a last survivor of those contracts, uh, the, the, the children inherited a phenomenal amount of money, several million dollars. Uh, they all lived in the Connecticut and Delaware area. And when I explained how things worked because they were upset about the taxes that they would have to pay. And I said, well, you do understand that this is what your parents did and the reason why they did it, they wanted to for each other and then to make sure that you had an inheritance. And if you were just to get the value, it basically, because it never, the high water mark, we just nailed it and I was so aggressive. These these people really understood it. And I think the, the death benefit was like two or three million above where the actual value was. And like, oh, okay. And so when I, oh, I guess, I guess we can pay the taxes on that. But they, they, they never said two words to me. Yeah. They, nobody ever says thank you. No, nobody ever says thank you. No, They don't do it. Um, but that's an interesting
1: factor to consider when you realize that most of these over, over how many years of experience that you have working with primarily retirees, at the end of the day, how few of them have a real appreciation for what you do when you do do a good job. And I think that does great on a lot of people. And then some of these people do just, they just become aggressive and they don't care anymore. And they're willing to sell a bill of goods to get the highest commission. And that's what a lot of these, these insurance or annuity products are. Yeah. They're willing to tell you anything. And as long as if you're willing to come to their seminar, they're willing to fill your belly up with, with booze and and steak because you could be worth a ten or fifteen thousand dollar payday at the end of the night for them, and that's 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 a big deal.
0: I and mean, I, I think you, I think we should talk about that. I mean, one of the things that these variable annuities, the equity index annuities, are the worst. They're 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 the worst in terms of commissions. But do you still have these variable annuities are paying you know five six seven nine percent commissions out there? I mean, if you oh, let's take seven percent. So you that's sell, not
1: coming out of anybody's pocket other than yours. That's the scariest part. Well,
0: but that's not how it's sold. They're all sold. The more you make, the more I make. Oh, you don't you don't pay me anything. The company pays me.
1: Yeah, after you give them the money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you, you're just the hair. Yeah, the surrender charges. You know, if if you're if if your surrender charges are starting off at seven, eight, nine percent, that's how much your dude is being paid a commission. I and mean, that's just a, a real good general rule of thumb. So you do an annuity seminar, you go and you you get, you know, you do the wine and cheese and the meal and the steaks and everything else. And you get up and boy, of course, everybody's got a suit and tie on and you want to get some really handsome looking men and some good looking women, especially among retirees. Always bring in a, everybody, if you're always smart, hire a young hottie and have her there as your receptionist. Boy, the guys love her the 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 methodology to do this stuff is as old as the hills, you know. You want to you want to get somebody's attention. Bring a pretty girl in. You want to get attention of a woman. Bring a handsome looking man in. These these people do this all the time. So what you do, you spend you know ten thousand dollars. But well, if you can get three hundred thousand dollars in annuity sales, that's seven fourteen twenty one. If I spend ten and make twenty one, that's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Yeah, I would say eleven thousand in
1: net profit for one for one evening is a pretty good deal.
0: Yeah, so if you can do that every week, you do that for a year, you know, you're making yourself half a million dollars. And that, and, these guys, and that's just at that three hundred thousand dollars. I mean, these guys are always the same thing. They're always looking for about a million bucks, and they'll do whatever they got to do to get it to get it squared around. And see, that's another thing that a lot of people don't realize is that you know a lot of these retirees are lonely as all get out, especially when the first spouse passes away or they have any kind of a, an issue health-wise. So instead of investing their $200,000 with Andy, the annuity salesman, what they'll do is they'll open a contract for
1: $10,000. Yeah, it, so then they nickel and dime, and here's a little bit, here's a little yeah. bit. Everybody gets a little nip at the, yeah. at the trough.
0: So Andy keeps coming back every couple of months, and he's making his 700 700 700 He's going to make his coin. He's going to make his $8,400 over the course of a year. But he's just got to come 12 times and sit with Gladys and have coffee and donuts and, you know, hear about, uh, you know, how Harry died and how the kids are doing and blah, blah, blah. And then he takes another check and he puts it into the annuity. But that's just, I mean, that's. And some of the worst ones you've seen over the years, they have a special
1: person at every bank and and multiple investment advisors and none of them know about each other. Nope. So well, every day of the week, there's a new person. It's like, wow. Something well, just- Wells
0: Fargo, they had that girl who was uh, very uh, buxom, worked on Highway 200. Uh, she was uh, with their securities department. We had a client that wound up just basically, uh, he kept money with us, but boy, he anything he could do to give to her, and he had so many credit card. he had... My God, he had like 15 credit cards and bank checking accounts, savings accounts. I mean, Wells Fargo just screwed him over something fierce.
1: All kinds of products that a senior really doesn't need.
0: No. But the bottom line is in in this whole discussion is these variable annuities, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, one and all, if you have one, you need to know what they cost. Uh, You need to sit down and really understand what you have and it's all public record. You can go and look at the prospectus. it's all online. You should insist upon the company and the person you're dealing with to provide you with a summary of all the costs. I mean, you've gotta know every single thing. Don't just take a fluff at it. And if you wanna know the costs, um, if you're a client of ours, in fact, I think for a while, we'll be happy to do it even if you're not, we'll be happy to tell you exactly, just give me, we just need the name of the company and exactly the exact name of the product and we'll do a quick comparison with um, the old Jefferson National, which is now nationwide, and uh, show you exactly what the cost difference is. Here's the thing: it's, it's a no commission product. It's no load. We don't make any money on that thing. So again, it's just it's a service that we provide because you know I got to tell you, it's just I, I shake my head at these things sometimes. I I literally can't believe the state department of insurance allow these contracts to float. And the, in the worst part
1: about it is, you know, it's, it's a tool that's useful for some people. Absolutely. But then you get the extreme end of the spectrum and it's just, you just, like you said, you just shake your head. It's like, how, how does not only does, how does the government approve, but how does somebody sleep at night knowing that they basically sold a, you know, bunch of crap when it comes down to it. You know the numbers will never make any sense. You'd have to live to what eight million to ever make make do, and then of course knowing that the person that sold it is likely gonna come knocking at the door the moment that surrender charge is up and they're ready to flip it over to something else. And,
0: oh, even when the surrender charge is not up, I'm, I hope somebody who is listening to this will hear they get these bonus annuities. Oh, Bobby, you know, you got that annuity, but we've got this extra special annuity, Bobby, and, and it's going to be really good for you. Oh, but I got another three per years to go on there. Oh, but we've got a bonus, Bobby. We can get you a 5% bonus. So you got 100000 now you got hundred and that offset that surrender chart. The people, they, again, why are regulators approving these kind of products? Yeah. A bonus annuity. You realize when you buy a bonus annuity guess who's paying more money?
1: Consumer, of course. Well, but on top of which the bonus annuities are always, you know, the the surrender charges exist for one reason, to to guarantee the company recoups the cost of sales and commissions and everything. It's kind of just a simple, simple little algorithm they put together as here's how much we expect to make on the fees. And then here's how much the the we're going to end up paying out on average per policy and they just kind of work it in. And so that's how you get the, the surrender schedule. But if you get a bonus annuity, the surrender schedule is going to be even longer because they're, they're not going to give you free money for free. Like they're not in the business of losing money.
0: Well, the only time a bonus annuity makes sense. And I had, I did that one time and it was uh, with a lady I'm not even going to get close to her. I'm not even going to come tell you anything other than just it was a lady. Husband was deceased, and she was absolutely terrified of investing. Terrified. Okay? And what we did was they had an annuity that had a 5% bonus. It had a three-year surrender charge on it. It bad. was no, and it wasn't bad, but it was seven, five, and three percent. But then, what I told her to do, because she 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 was terrified, she was so terrified of investing. I said, put the money in the cash account because they don't charge the mortality expense charges on the cash account.
1: <laughs> That's clever.
0: And the cash account was guaranteeing two and a half percent at the time. So she was guaranteed, just use simple math, three years, seven and a half percent. Then you add the five on to it. I said, even if you decide to get out of this thing, you could get out of it and have your surrender charges. You're still money ahead at the first year. She goes, oh, well, like how? You're up ahead by half a percent because five and two and a half is seven and a half. A surrender charge is seven. But at the end of seven, first year, it's down to five. She said, that's not a great deal. I said, yeah. As if U.S. has a CD, she wanted keeping it until she died. She never moved it. Company lost her tail on it. I don't care. They offer it. I can read con. That's the that's the advantage of having a law degree and being able to read contracts. But I feel good about it. What the heck? I didn't write the contract. But that's the funny thing is is
1: that's a good example of another one of these annuities with a weird special caveat or special terms or something that's just not priced quite right or a loophole that somebody didn't think about. And you can take advantage of them. But the reality is, with technology today, those types of things are far and few between. And you're better off just paying less. Because, you know, the, as the old adage goes, if you pay less, you're going to keep more. It's that simple.
0: Let's, let's shift gears for a quick second. We were talking and we did research. I showed you all the research we did a few, um, oh gosh, it might be six months ago. We were talking about withdrawal rates because we have a whole procedure on people who are concerned about withdrawing money. Um, do you want to cover that real briefly and I'll tie it into annuities? We want me to cover it. We, We want to do. Sure. I mean,
1: pretty simply our philosophy is, is really come, really comes down to being very, 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 very simple. Um, we don't make more because you have more money under management, so we don't have a conflict of interest for regarding you, what your cash levels are and how much, you have invested in how much you have on the sideline or, or whatever. So the very easiest way to avoid taking a massive bath when the market's down or or completely missing a nice run when the market is is on fire is to have appropriate cash so that you don't have to withdraw at the inopportune time or, 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 or bad time. You know, if you can avoid bad timing, you can actually – Lock in your gains, and you can you can continue to do whatever is is appropriate for your situation, and you're not you're not um, stuck between a rock and a hard place. And we don't have any of those type of pressures to pressure a client to do one thing or the other. It's all about what's best for their situation. And the thing that you know we do is if you are concerned about what's going on and the market's up, take money off the table. Um, have money on the sidelines that's it's kind of like your it's your cushion. And the reality is, um, I don't remember the specific number, but it's anywhere between 12 and 18 months. the market has never been down for you know that period of time. Um, so you just kind of do the basic math and you say, oh are you willing to risk having bad returns? Or are you willing to risk having, a little bit of cash on the side and maybe maybe your overall net return isn't as is great, but you have a nice secure position and you're very comfortable because you had the cash reserves on the side and you didn't have to worry about really clobbering your returns over the long term.
0: Yeah, taking money out of an investment is the easiest thing in the world if you're not emotional about it. It's called buy low, sell high, which is the absolute opposite of what the overwhelming majority of the investors do. Last year, the S&P was down about 4%. And according to Dalbar, a very respected long-term research company has been around for a long, long time. They've been doing this this actual study year after year since 1994, it's consistent. They've shown investors continue to underperform the market. Last year, investors lost over 9%. The S&P did about, well, it was down four. So investors, you know, I mean, they more than, I mean, they got clobbered. Why? Because when the market was going down, what did they do? People sold. They sold. And when the market was up, they were chicken little and they were on the side. Of, they, it, well, it comes down
1: to one simple thing. You can't, you can't buy low if you don't have any cash and you can't bingo. sell high if you're still trying to recoup that's exactly Prior right. losses. That's exactly right. So what it does is it's a perfect example of putting good money after bad. the markets up, I can't sell. And then you write it all the way down because you know, you're, you're like a, you're like a, a, a drug addict at Vegas and you just, you know, you need your next hit cause you know, I'm down so far and I just, 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 just one more round and pretty soon you're going home on the greyhound because the casino now
0: owns your car. Yeah, in the bottom line, I mean the the system the, the systematic withdrawal program that we've we've put together and we articulate to our clients, it it does nothing more than what these un- variable annuities say. Oh, you, we'll guarantee that you can pull out three and a half or four uh, percent every year as long as you only. The-. That's the easiest thing in the world to do if you just follow some very simple rules. Never take money out when the market's down. So if you have a million dollars, just use a million. It's an easy number to use. You got a million bucks. At the end of the quarter, you're down. You're down ten thousand dollars, and every quarter you want ten thousand dollars out of this investment because that that makes up the shortfall between Social Security and your pension. Fair enough. Seems fair to me. Okay, so ten times four would be forty thousand. So you want about a forty thousand dollar income on a million bucks has 4% a year. Pretty reasonable, right? Yep. Oh, well, here's the thing. You should have not less than 40-80 or as much as 120,000 in cash. In other words, at 120, you've got a you've got 3 years of cash that you can pull, meaning you don't ever touch your investment when it's down. So now let's kind of go back. If you you got a million bucks you take 120 thousand off of it what have you got you've got eight hundred eighty thousand dollars so you're you're the the broker or advisor they make money the more you give them so they want the whole thing I'd rather have you have more cash take that 120 put and then invest the difference invest invest uh, you know 880 but here's the thing on that 880. Don't pull money out until it's up by what? At least $10,000. Absolutely. Now you have, let's say, a quarter where it goes up gangbusters. It's up 30000 What do you do? Well, if you've taken money out of your one twenty, then you need to replenish what I call your rolling three years. Absolutely. Make sense? Yeah. Sure. So if you follow those simple rules... If you're aggressive, you have one-year cash. You're moderate, you have two. And if you're conservative, you have three years of cash. That makes up the difference between your guaranteed income from pensions and Social Security and what you need. Real simple.
1: It's kind of just like the opposite version of the envelope system.
0: It is. Instead of filling them up, you're taking them out. It is the envelope system. My mother and father, born in 1915, lived their entire lives. and, And dad was very successful. Okay. It worked for them. It's basic fundamental accounting. You, you budget for this, you budget for that, it's, It you know, I mean, you just do. Yeah. That.
1: Unfortunately, it just as, as the same thing applies, very few people actually think about it in those simple terms. They try to make it more complicated. Oh, you have this, you have this, this cash. Well, why don't we put it in a less, less uh, risky investment? And then they just Constantly it's all about the churn, moving things around, investing as much as you possibly can. When the reality is for most people, you're better off having, you know, eighteen eighteen months or more of cash on the sideline and you know, being comfortable and knowing that you're not going to you know you're not gonna do the wrong thing.
0: Yeah, the cash and near term cash is a concept most people have they don't they just like, oh you can't make money on it. It's just been it's been so um, what's a good word? It's been so chastised, demonized, so demonized. There yeah. you go. It would,
1: yeah. I mean, and, and that's a perfect use for a thing like a CD at a bank, you know, everybody always views them as, you know, granny's crazy investment because she's risk adverse. But what if it's just your cash that's on the sideline and you know, you're not going to use it for six, the soonest you would ever have to use it is six months from now. Get a little bump in, in interest from your bank, whatever.
0: No big deal, but it's amazing to me is that you have people in the villages on top of the world, Oak Run, Sun City Center, all the Dell Web communities, all the Valencia communities. I mean, these people are these are successful people. They did some really amazing things in life, but when it comes to annuities, when it comes to a lot of retirement, you just you shake your head. So you have this variable annuity that you're paying thirty eight. $1,000 a year for benefits that are absolutely worthless because the companies aren't make, they're not going to lose money on you. They've already done that. they figured it out.
1: No, but I mean, more importantly, if you think about it, I mean, $38,000 is 3.8%. How much could you take off Ta-da. when the costs are equivalent to basically the nearing the maximum that you could ever take out and not run out of money? You know, between three and a half and four percent is the most is is the most mathematically you could ever take out, and 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 never run out of money. Well, if you're giving all of that to the annuity company, there's
0: where where's is it, changing pockets. Where's it for- left for you? I mean, yeah. Well, that's yeah. the thing. If you look at if you look at the numbers in these prospectuses and these companies that are guaranteeing a three and a half or four percent income. You're paying for that. I mean, you, you yeah, literally insane, are paying for that. Those are the really insane ones.
1: When you do the numbers, it's like you have all the writers and all this stuff. And all of a sudden you realize, Oh, I'm not actually making anything. The worst ones are the ones where you're actually paying them. You know, all oh, they guarantee 3%, but your costs are 3.8. It's like, well, who's winning out
0: on that one. You're paying them to own this thing. So, we have access to uh, Jefferson Pilot now. It's nationwide. Uh, I think it's called their Monumental or Mon- whatever. I'm not going to get. It. I always, I've always get the name screwed up. I could read it 15 times over. I think it's, what is it was Mon- Monumental Monument,
1: whatever. I'm not, I'm not sure. At the
0: moment. Yeah, I know. I, was, I probably should have looked at that before we sat down in the in the studio. But the bottom line is, you know, it's it's a great little deal, and one of the things that we can do for our clients is we can eliminate the need to do the rebalancing. And so why you just, you know, chat with us just a little bit and how we, how we've got that structured because it's a, I mean, you can do it yourself. We have no problem at all with that, but if you want us to handle it, what do we do?
1: Yes. um, Just in the same, in the same billing structure as we operate, this product is, you said $20 a month, so it's $240 a year because it's very simple.
0: And that comes, just so everybody understands, they take that out of the value of the account. Yes. I mean, that's, that's theirs. and we don't touch that, that's not, yeah. has nothing, yeah, that nothing has nothing to do with to us. Do with
1: us. Um,
0: it's a no-load
1: product, meaning that there are no commissions and it can be serviced by an investment advisor.
0: Correct. And yeah. it's actually sold by nationwide. And, and so there's actually an insurance agent with nationwide who's the agent of record? yeah it's like and we're we internal no, yeah an internal insurance agent yeah so we, we
1: actually don't have any 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 part in that process but they do have a good management process and a good management system for third-party investment advisors to manage the allocation of your investments inside um, that annuity. So, if you do have the product or you want to acquire a product that is what we would consider one of the best as far as the cost structure goes, um, it is very easy and very simple to have it managed and monitored by a fiduciary-based investment advisor for a the same cost that we charge for everything else. It's $10 a month. for
0: each annuity or
1: a brokerage account.
0: And, and it's, it's no different than, you know, it's like going to a valet service and it's just a fixed cost. And the, you know, it's, it's just very it's simple, very simple. And, and, you know, the reality is a lot of people don't rebalance uh, just like most people don't vote their proxies. They're in that we do, we vote, we vote all our shares. And, um, but that's just, that's, that's a, that's a feature. So look, you know, the bottom line is you have an annuity, you're paying through the nose. I mean, you're just, oh, you're just getting slaughtered on the thing. Now you know that, that there's there's an option. But you don't want to get out of it because the taxes are huge. Let's say you bought it at $100,000 years ago, and now it's worth 300000 And if you got out of it, you got $200,000 of income that's going to come in, not capital gains. And you go, man, I don't want to pay that tax on it. I mean, I just, I don't want to pay that tax. Um. You can do what's called a 1035 exchange where you can move money from one annuity to another and you're not taxed. It's kind of like an an IRA, a rollover, or transfer, those kind of things. For real estate, it's called a 1031 exchange. So you can do a 1035 exchange. And even for those people who might have a little bit of a surrender charge, let's say you've got a $300,000 annuity. And let's say there's a two percent surrender charge. Well, what would that be? Six thousand dollars, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, if you're paying, let's say three percent each year in administrative expenses, your total expenses, let's say it's three and a half percent because you've your funds and everything else. That's more money than the surrender charge. Absolutely, yeah. And so your surrender charge, you have three more years to go and you say well I really don't want to do this cuz I don't want to have any surrender charges okay 369 versus 3 which is more which is going to cost you more
1: should be pretty clear yeah the delay
0: <laughs> is going to cost you more so that's and unfortunately at least 70% of the people that you tell that to they won't move the money cuz for some reason they're emotionally to their dude uh to the product or they just well the other they don't want to is, believe it or the other thing
1: is, is people just won't ever get the opportunity to have this analysis because one most people don't do the reanalysis of their own products and they only do it when or, or they only do it when their guy comes around to sell them something new and they just evaluate from the slate of products that he has on his deck for that you know, from the uh, those wholesalers that he's seen that month. So, unfortunately, that's the case. And um, this is this is actually a very good product because the costs are so low, regardless of the investment performance compared to the costs of these other things. It is it does it does end up working out uh, pretty well, in our opinion.
0: Yeah, and one of the things I'm, we're going to finish up with with where annuities make an awful lot of sense in just a moment now. But before we do that, I wanna make this comment. Your advisor, agent, banker, broker, and financial planner should never be your friend. Your accountant is not your friend. Your attorney is not your friend. Your physician is not your friend. I, I don't care who you are. If do you how many people do you think go out oh golfing and out to dinner and to the movies to with their physicians?
1: I would Imagine it's very, very low, (laughs) very,
0: very low. Right. Yeah. Very few. Why would a physician not want to socialize with their patients?
1: Because it makes it hard to make decisions in both directions. Right. You know, it's hard to tell Bob that I I have this weird pain at the same time. It's hard to operate on Margaret if, you know, she's my friend and what I'm getting ready to do might, might have a chance of killing her.
0: Uh, only a dumb attorney represents him or herself in court. I mean, you just don't do it. Yeah, absolutely. And the worst patient, the old joke is, uh, is is a physician. Yep. So a professional understands you, has compassion, but is not emotionally involved. And unfortunately, the overwhelming majority of the people that buy these crappy products out there, they bought them because the slimy, off-Wall Street, commission-based salesperson is making a big fat commission and is going to whine and dine and do whatever they got to do to make those big bucks, make the big bucks, get a trip, make a big buck, get an award, make a big buck, you make a higher rate of return. It's the same thing. That's what, that's what's going on. They're not your friends. Well, it's the same bifurcation that exists in the military.
1: Any officer is told you do not fraternize with, with your subordinates. And the reason is you may have to send them to go die and, you don't want to have to be left with that mental baggage and you have to be effective at your job just like they have to be effective at theirs. And, you know, it's kind of a harsh reality, but the same thing exists for people that handle your money, people that are handling your money with regards to the government, for example, your accountant or your medical professional. You know, it's a a hard thing to make uh, responsible decisions when you can see how they're going to play out in front of you.
0: Yeah, and I mean, anybody who knows anything about management knows that when you promote from within, you got to transfer people, because the person that got promoted, you're not one of them anymore, and that's a hard job to do. If if you got to supervise your own people that used to be equal with, that's that's real tough, and it's always going to be that way. Professionals understand that. The problem is consumers like the whining and dining. So if if you can just understand that yes, there's no place for that and just be professional, I mean, we, we are a true fiduciary-based registered investment advisor. Uh, no Nobody here is allowed to socialize or fraternize with anybody who's a client. We don't allow it. Um, we're not your friends. We are your professional fiduciary to do the right thing, period. That's all there is to it. Now let's move on and we'll finish up with this. There is one thing that people do not understand, and that is how powerful, this is where uh, guys like Ken Fisher, I just, when when he gets up there, I I started off with this, and he says, I'd rather go to hell than have an annuity, and he starts that grovelly voice. Ken, then you hate Social Security, because Social Security is an annuity. So one of the things I've had is I've had some clients in the past that because of circumstances within or without beyond their control, they got thin on money and they needed an income and they might've had a spending problem. You know, a couple I'm talking about, they. Absolutely. Yeah. Great well, people, but sometimes it happens
1: when the a spouse dies and the other spouse didn't manage the money and they don't make the
0: best decisions because nobody's there to tell them no. Yep. That's very common. So, one of the things if you annuitize your money and you annuitize it for the rest of your life and let's say you're 70 years of age and you've historically got a spending problem or your lifestyle is just a little richer than what i mean you got a champagne taste on a beer budget you can you, you you're trading your mortality which means if you let's say you so you buy a single premium immediate annuity, it's like Social Security. You get to sixty five, you draw two checks, and you drop dead. Your Social Security is done, right? Yeah you you left, you lost that gamble. You lost that gamble. On the other hand, you live to uh, my uh, aunt M- the age of my aunt Mildred. Aunt Mildred lived what hundred and five or seven. She won that one. She won the lottery, right? Okay, so. If you're in really good physical health, maybe you should take that bet. If you're in lousy health, then don't take it. You know. But I've had more than just a few men and women and couples that they're able to get the equivalent of about anywhere from a 9 to 13% equivalency return. So they've got, let's say, $100,000. They're getting... $1,000 a month. That's the equivalent of a 12% return. They're going to get that, and when the last one dies, it ends. So if they both die, or the one dies, you know, if it's a single, you have a single life, joint life, if they die within three years, well, that was a lousy bet, wasn't it? You got back $36,000. Boy, you lost $72,000. Oh, children hate that kind of stuff. Well, would you, were you willing to, help your parents because they were short well no but well they had to do that so again a pension you you work for the city of tampa fire and police pension fund the general fund you work for orlando you work for the state of florida you're you're under the state retirement system you're single you retire three years later you're dead where'd your money go it stays in the pot. Yeah, it stays in the pot and it funds everybody else's pensions. It's just how the, it's how the system works. And that's why we talked earlier about luck. It's the law of large numbers. The actuaries crunch the numbers. They know some people are going to die early, some people are going to be late. You know, They work the numbers. So in those cases, it makes sense. Well, Here's one, one other thing. Single premium immediate annuities also make sense if you potentially have a spouse that is going to need long-term care and you have more money you don't have enough money to pay for the care that's going to be required but at the same time you have more money than you can you're supposed to have to qualify for medicaid so from a medicaid standpoint you consult with your attorney we we always can can give you these numbers there's an income test. There's an asset test. Well, let's say you got two or three hundred thousand dollars. You might want to annuitize a couple hundred thousand dollars. There's ways to do that. And now you got an income stream for the rest of the affected spouse and the surviving spouse. So you don't melt down that money and left you're left holding the bag. And for ladies who are listening, man, there's a lot of you out there who've got a spouse who may have taken a single life pension and social security and long-term care and you're left holding an empty bag.
1: Yeah. Those are some of the most unfortunate cases because people just didn't consider the outcomes of of that decision. They saw the couple hundred dollars extra a month and they didn't consider the reality that once that spouse dies, there's nothing. And it it makes sense if you have the right assets or you planned for that. But the reality is most people don't. typically becomes a, a tough situation
0: yeah so again using that million dollar annu- uh, annuity that you're paying 30 let's say thirty five thousand dollars a year for after 10 years you got three fifty thousand dollars and your spouse is going to go into a nursing home that you're I mean high high cost uh cognitive impairment Alzheimer's let's say it's costing you ten twenty thousand dollars a month but you wish you had that extra 350 don't you think Absolutely. That's what this is all about. Um, The bottom line is, this is the kind of thing you get with us. It's called Connecting Dots. We sit down and have a conversation like this, uh, our podcast. And this is an example of what we do with our clients. Uh, Go through the facts and figures. But we ask a lot of questions about what we call the five cows, which are the five components of wealth, physical, emotional, intellectual relationship and financial, understanding exactly what your situation is, what your goal and objectives are. But uh, we are an investment advisor. We are a true fiduciary based investment advisor. We're not a financial planner, not your attorney, not your accountant, not your insurance agent. We're an advisor and we manage investment silos. So you have everything online, take a look at it. Uh, We always say the same thing, it's better, it's simple, it works. That's a little discussion about uh, variable annuities. And um, it's just an example of the kind of things that we uh, do.
1: Yep. We keep it simple. And uh, thanks for listening.
0: Okay. That's a wrap for this episode. If you have a comment or an idea, call 888-629-7864. That's 888-629-7864. And leave a message. We truly appreciate your ideas and comments.
2: Thank you for joining us today. This podcast was produced by Fixed Cost Financial, the home of Fixed Cost Investing. Fixed Cost Financial is a true fiduciary-based investment advisor, where you will not pay more, if you have more, or receive less, if you have less. The way we do it, as a true fiduciary, it's better, it's simple, and it works. You can find Fixed Cost Financial online at fixedcostinvesting.com, that's fixedcostinvesting.com.